If you will, get your Bible and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. We're looking today at looking back at America. I know there's a lot of things going on in our world today, and a lot of it's not good. But we still live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. No doubts about it. Oftentimes, the questions is asked, is America in the Bible? Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. So take your pick. No, you do not find America directly in the Bible. I know of no Bible prophecy that can be directly traced to the United States. But on the other hand, I do believe with all my heart that we see in the Bible a parallel to America. I see a nation which in many ways pictures the past, the path, but also the problems of America. Second Kings chapter 17, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and read this as we read verses 5 through 23. I know it's a little bit lengthy today, but we'll try to make it through pretty quick because it's very important of how we're looking at today. Now the king of Syria went throughout all the land, and she went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and cried and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the, by the harbor, the river goes on and in the cities of the Medes. So far, it, so far it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the king, the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and other kings of Israel, which they, had, which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord, the God, which things which were not right, and they built themselves high places in all the cities from watchtower to fortified city. They set, upon them, they set upon them for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense in, on all the high places like the, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and, by my, and, and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his co covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies, which he had testified against them, they followed idols and became idolaters, and went after the nations who were around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they, so they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made of themselves molten images of two calves, made of wood Im wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. All Judah did to keep the commandments of the Lord 
their God, but walked in the statues of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all descendants of Israel, afflicted, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they and did not depart from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, and he said by all of his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning, this day before 4th of July that we celebrate this great nation. And Lord, I know we're have many different ideals today about what's going on. But, Lord, it just seems like our nation has turned its back on God, just like Israel did in this passage we just read. And, Lord, we just pray that you would bring us back to where you want us to be before we go through the same punishment that Israel did. Lord, open our eyes that we may see what you're saying to us. Lord, put us in this place. Let us see it. And, Lord, let us repent and come back to you the way you desire. Go with us these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Israel, you may be seated. Israel was born supernaturally and almost instantaneously. Like America, Israel was at the time the only superpower on planet Earth. Like America, she was founded to be one nation under God. Like America, her motto was, in God we trust. Like America, she was the most prosperous, productive nation in the world. God gave Israel three separate gifts, just as he did America. He gave her a a Lord, he gave her a law, and he gave her a land. In other words, he gave them a person to live for, a principle to live by, and a place to live in. But we see here in this chapter that we just read what Israel did with those three gifts. First of all, 2 Kings chapter 17, 15, she denied the Lord. Read that with me if you would. 2 Kings 17, 15. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. The second thing we see, she defied the law. 2 Kings 15, uh, seventeen sixteen. the next verse down. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves <coughs> excuse me, molten images and two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Finally, she defiled the Lord, First, 2 Kings seventeen seventeen, And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practicing witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. At the moment, Israel's greatest friend, the Lord God, became Israel's greatest foe. Because of how they had turned their backs on God. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them from the sight, from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah, that passage we just read said. The implausible, 
the inconceivable, the impossible had happened. Israel, God's chosen nation, the nation that was conceived in the providence of God, covered by the protection of God, controlled by the power of God, fell to a pagan, heathen, unbelieving nation. A nation that was born in the heart of God died under the hand of God. 3,000 years later, or roughly, another nation was born called America. I believe God gave her a Lord, Jesus Christ. I believe God gave her a law, the Ten Commandments. I believe God gave her a land that we now possess. I believe that God, He gave to America a law based on the same law that He gave to the Israelites many years ago. He set America, I believe, that's why I said yes and no, it's in the Bible. No, America is not mentioned. No, the United States is not mentioned. But I believe we're there in the same text because God had a hand upon this nation being born. God had a part in bringing this about. It was almost an impossibility to do what our forefathers did in 1776, to defeat a powerful army with a ragtag army. That had to be the hand of God involved in it somewhere. Yet when you pick up a newspaper to turn on, or turn on the television or look out your front door, you see, you see America that is denying the Lord, defying the law, and defiling the land. It's happening as we speak. I cannot, most of you have lived many years around here. I cannot imagine what took place before the 60s. I mean, all of a sudden, it just seemed to fall apart, and it seemed to have been going down since then. My personal belief, and I can't back this up, so it's just my belief, I believe when we allowed Marilyn Murray O'Hare to take prayer out of our institutions and our schools, America started going downhill fast. Now, I, I can't blame that on her specifically because I don't know that, but it just seems like, and I remember that was when I was a young boy, that took place. It just seems like from there, everything just went to pot real quick. And I'm afraid that we're going down here faster now than we've ever been before. And we need to change it. And I say we, not being our government, not being the Democrats, not being the Republicans, not being the independents. I believe it's got to start at the churches of America. It's got to start with the people in the pews. When we get a burden for this nation to turn back to God... Then we will begin to see something. Even though America is not Israel, I do believe there's some striking parallels between what happened to Israel and what is even happening today to America. Now, that's not in the Bible. You won't find it. But I just pointed out a few of them. But let's, let's look at some more as we go through. America has not fallen yet. But I believe she's teetering on the brink of destruction like with one foot on an ice cube and the other foot on a banana peeling. We're slipping away real fast. We need to examine how the nation of Israel fell from the grace of God. What did they do? What happened? How did such a powerful, godly nation, how did it happen? Those who cannot, uh, somebody, somebody, uh, somebody want, man, want, a wise man once said, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> wise man once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I believe that's a true statement. I believe this passage is literally, that we just read, a mirror of America today. 
There are three great lessons America, or for that matter, any nation, can learn about the fall of the nation of Israel 3,000 years ago. Number one, the sin of rebellion against God. 2 Kings 17.7 that we just read tells us a simple reason for the fall of Israel. It tells us why they fell. Look what it says, 2 Kings 17.7. For so it was that the children had sinned against the Lord their God. Now, that may seem like an innocuous statement. doesn't say a lot to us. Harmless statement. But there's enough poison in that simple sentence to kill the mightiest of nations. The people of Israel had sinned against God. Now, let that sink into you a minute. These are the people that God said, this is my chosen people. This is my chosen folks. What's the old saying? You don't tug on Superman's coat. I can't even talk this morning. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you don't sin against God. Well, maybe I changed that last part, but anyway. Because rebellion always brings ruin. I don't care who you are, where you are, rebellion always brings friends. Teenagers, remember that. You're, brings uh, failure, brings ruin. Teenagers, remember that. I know some teen. I was a teenager at one time, just a couple years ago. It's close, but anyway, it. Uh, but rebellion always brings ruin in your life if you're not careful. I want you to notice something clearly and plainly. Israel did not fall because of the power of her enemies. She fell because of the sin of her people. Let me say that again. Israel did not fall because of, the, of their enemies. She fell because of the sin of her people. God just said in Kings, 2 Kings 17.7. The cause of her fall was not from the outside, it was from the inside. And folks, I'm afraid with everything I've got that that's the biggest threat to America today, from the inside. We're changing so much. We're seeing so many things that don't make sense to us that we've never seen before that are taking place on a daily basis just about. I can remember, see, like about 30 years ago when the Cold War was over. Y'all remember that? When the wall was torn down and all those things happened and so forth? The greatest battle America ever faced was not the Cold War or against an enemy that we could see, but an invisible war against an enemy we cannot see. Ephesians 6.12 confirms that. Listen to what it says. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against powers, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the danger we've got to watch out for. I don't care who tells you Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. And he's going to remain that way. Can God defeat him? Of course he can. He knows he's a defeated foe. But he's I believe that's why we're facing the last times before Jesus comes back because He's causing so much chaos in the world today. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet for that matter. But I'll venture to say this. If or when America falls, it will not be because she was conquered from without, 
but she corroded from within. America is doing today the same things that Israel did 3,000 years ago when she toppled over like a rotten tree. She fell. Israel idolized pagan lords. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 7 that we just read. They had feared the other gods. Second Kings 17, 12, and 15 tells us they followed idols and became idolaters. In the beginning, God made, out, made man out of the earth. Today, we make gods out of the dust of the earth. We build nice homes, and it becomes our gods. We build instruments, and it becomes what we worship almost. The great preacher of years gone by, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, I confess, with, I confess I would almost rather be charged with a religion that extenuated murder than one that justified idolatry. And then he goes on to say this, Murder, as great as the offense is, is but the slaying of man. Idolatry is in its essence the killing of God. I saw on Facebook just the other day this young man holding up a sign. Some protest was that. Of course, there's so many nowadays, you never know which one it is. But holding up a sign. And the sign read, If Jesus Christ comes back today, we should kill him again. That's the attitude of some people. They so hate what Christ stands for that they'll be willing to be the ones to put him to death. I don't know this young man. I didn't know him then. Don't know him now. Don't know where he was from or anything else. You show me how a nation worships, whom a nation worships, where a nation worships, and I'll tell you the future of that nation. Because the welfare of a nation is tied to the worship of its nation. Of its, the welfare of a nation is tied to the worship of a nation. William Gladstone, the former prime minister of England, said this, and I quote, You show me what the young men of England are doing on Sunday morning, and I will show you the future of England. Today, less than 2% of England attends church anywhere. Where once she sailed the seven seas, she is now a second-rate power that can barely defend her own shores, as we've seen within the last few months. To give you one example of this idolatry, 2 Kings chapter 17 verse, 6, 6, 17, verse 16 says, So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves a molten image and two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Did you catch that last little part there? And worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. That is, they began to worship the stars. Now, let me tie this in. God had warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what it says. And take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all of which the Lord your God has given you to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. There is only one star worthy to worship in the skies any night of the week. And that's the Bethlehem star, Jesus Christ. But today in America, one in four people believe in astrology. There are now 50 million-plus devotees of this ancient pagan practice. 71% of the over 2,000-plus newspapers in America 
carry a horoscope every day of the week. There are some people who won't even get out of bed until they reach for that paper and read their horoscope or whatever means they get it from. By the way, it's exactly called the right thing, horoscope, because it's horrible. Be careful with them. That is an old practice of pagan religion. And I know Baptists that get up every morning and have to turn that paper open and read it or get on the Internet or whatever method you use. Be careful. That is a pagan worshiping process. I heard the story about a lady that approached the pastor one morning after service. and She said, I'm a cancer. And he said, I believe it. <laughs> the point is that today, like Israel of old, we have become a nation of idolaters. We worship the God of the stars. We worship the God of sports. We worship the God of sex. We worship the God of success. And we're idolizing pagan lords in our daily lives. You say, well, I don't do that. Oh, check what you do. You might be doing it. You may be doing some of the things. Israel also imitated lives. Second Kings 17, 15. We're told that they went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. But they went after them. Their motto had become, when in Rome, do like the Romans do. You remember the old saying that if you can't beat them, join them? Well, our philosophy has changed a little bit today. Let's join them whether we can beat them or not. And people just go blindly into things they don't know anything about. Their pagan worship had resulted in a polluted walk of their people because they got off into pagan worship. Well, I don't think the horoscope's going to It's just for fun you read that. Then why do you read it every day? Can you skip it? Some of them can't do it. We're living in the midst of a sold-out generation. Nationally known Christian speaker Larry Burkett said it well. Even a casual observer of American history has to be shocked at how far the American concept of right and wrong has degraded in just one generation. Abortion is legal. Safe sets is taught as being normal in our schools. Drugs now dominate life in the cities and the suburbs. Uh, adultery is no longer an issue in national politics. Homosexuality has rapidly become an acceptable lifestyle. And Christianity is a forbidden doctrine in nearly all areas of government, even on the public streets in some areas. You know who suffers first and who suffers the most in a nation that rebels against God? Our children. They're the ones that are going to suffer the most. 2 Kings chapter 17, 17 says this. Listen to the depths of how far Israel dropped. It reveals the depths to how far they had sunk. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. You know what that means? They were offered to the pagan gods as sacrifices. Their own flesh and blood. Their own children. As part of their pagan worship. They sacrificed their own children to a pagan god. This was the godly nation. This was the most powerful nation on earth at one time. This is a nation that loved and served God. And now here they are a short time later yielding their own children for sacrifices to a pagan god. May I say that here in America, we're sacrificing our children on the altar of our material and sexual lust a lot of times. According to a recent report, 
We have murdered ten times more children than have died in all the combined casualties of every war we've ever fought in our history. This was, this was even a couple of years ago. 4,200 unborn babies are killed in our nation every day. One-third of all pregnancies now end in abortion. Thank God we have a facility just down the street, just not even a block away, called the Hope House that spends time and effort and money, and I believe some of you even work there or volunteer there, and they try their best to talk these young women through this process and give them the help they needed that they don't have to make that choice. It's making a dent. But when you have 4,200 unborn babies a day being sacrificed, if you will, it's not making much of a dent. Oh, how we as a church need to support them. We need to volunteer for them. All that we can do, anything you can do. If you've got time, talk to some ladies around here. I know there's ladies that work down there, volunteer down there on a daily basis. Oh, how we need to get involved in things. We need to pray for them first and support them as much as possible. They're saving unborn lives on a daily basis across this nation. And they're at the same time fighting the abortion clinics of coming back in and reestablishing themselves like they were a few years ago. Oh, how we need to get involved in our civic possibilities. They're reaching young ladies who think there's no other option. Every year, one out of every ten children is sexually abused. And beyond this is an estimated, estimated t- uh, number that there are 600,000 child prostitutes in this country today. This report also said that on the average, every child molester is responsible for abusing, on average, 68 children, each one of them. They get caught for one, usually. No wonder our children have turned from purity to pot, from salvation to sex, from deity to drugs, and from righteousness to rock and roll. And by the way, just to clear up, I'm from the 60s. I was a rock and roll. I like rock and roll, some of it. But be careful what you let into your mind, folks. Israel also introduced pagan laws. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 8 says, They walked in the statutes of the nation whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. They had substituted man's Ten Commandments for God's... They had substituted man's Ten Suggestions for God's Ten Commandments. They purposely made God irrelevant and illegal. So today, by legislation, by education, by indoctrination, we're trying to remove God from sight and sound of our young people. Our schools, our public schools. Now, they may not be flagrantly doing it like some people do, but they're just all over. The Supreme Court tells us that you cannot pray before a graduation ceremony. You cannot pray before a football game. You cannot hang the Ten Commandments on the walls of a public school or public building. You can talk about condom, sex, perversion, but don't you dare mention God. That's the world we live in today, folks. Who would have thought, who would have dreamed that you cannot pray in school, nor even study your Bible, but in the formerless communist nations of Eastern Europe, they allow both of them. But yet we can't do it over here anymore. 
And even today as we speak, we're having discussion on whether or not to allow men to use the women's restroom. Come on, folks. Don't we have more to worry about than that? God made us different. And we have different rooms for each one. I don't care if you feel like a girl today. Stay out of the women's restroom. I didn't mean to say that. It just came out. (laughs) Well, America needs to learn from Benjamin Franklin. What he told Thomas Paine one day, who was an agnostic, by the way. Thomas Paine wrote a book called The Age of Reason. And in that book, he ridiculed the revelation of God's Word, the very ideal of God himself. He asked Benjamin Franklin to read this book to tell him what he thought of it. And by the way, Benjamin Franklin was not a godly man himself but here's what he said tom when a man spits against the wind he spits in his own face he said you better be careful what you're saying to god any nation who substitutes secularism for scriptures humanism for holiness paganism for purity is spitting into the wind of the wrath of god next thing we see real quickly the shame of rejection by god when Israel rejected God, God rejected them. Second Kings 17, verse 20. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. Now you may wonder, how could God do that to his chosen nation? I want to tell you with God, there's no partiality. God doesn't say, I like this one better than this one. God's judgment knows no favorites. Notice exactly how the judgment of God was manifested. They were personally rejected. Second Kings seventeen twenty, And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. The stench of Israel's sin had come back so repugnant to the nostrils of a holy God that he turned his back on them. I believe there are people in America who believe that a loving God would never turn his back upon this good old U.S. of A., After all, we have in God we trust on our money. That's important. That makes us holy. On our coins, we have the Word of God in our pledge that we just did a few moments ago. Even though we're not a perfect nation, surely we're so much farther than those other evil nations around the world. Well, i got news for you. God is so holy, He turned His back on His own Son while He was on the cross. Don't think God won't turn his back on us. God is not impartial. God knows what's right and what's wrong. You see, if God had not turned his back on the sinful nation of Israel, he would have ceased to be the three-in-one God of the universe. That's why God judged Israel, and if he did that, he will certainly judge America. I hear preachers say so often that God is our only hope, and I I believe that. But I want to tell you, God is also our greatest threat. He may be our only hope, but he's also our greatest threat. America does not need to fear any country who can simply kill the body. She had better fear a God who can kill both body and soul and cast it into hell. It's one thing for you to turn back to God. It's another thing for God to turn his back on you. We live in a nation that defends pornography as free speech, but denies prayer in the name of the First Amendment. 
We live in a nation that protects the life of a blue worm up in Montana, but promotes the murder of unborn children. We live in a nation that defies man, justifies sin, crucifies babies, glorifies perversion, and nullifies God. I agree with Thomas Jefferson when he said, Indeed, I tremble for our country when I reflect that God is just. They were painfully afflicted. God not only rejected the nation, God afflicted the nation. Look at 2 Kings 17 20. A nation that is bound to sin is bound to suffer. I look at the sin of America and I wonder if oceans of tears and rivers of blood will be the price that we'll pay for our sins. Just look at us. We're drowning in alcohol. Do you know that during the time the Vietnam War was going on, six times as many Americans lost their lives due to alcohol as lost their lives fighting in the, uh, the Vietnam War. And I feel sure some of you were in the Vietnam War, or parts of it at least. And if I remember right, and I may not have this figure out, there was over 58,000 Americans killed in that war. Does anybody know that that's true? I, I believe that's right. But anyway, it's, it doesn't matter right now. But we're decaying from drugs. Drug use on the job is costing American economy $26 billion a year including $16.6 billion in lost productivity. We now buy more drugs than any other nation on the face of the earth. We're dying of AIDS. Dr. Jonathan Mann with the World Health Organization recently said, Despite medical advances and medications for AIDS, it is a global epidemic that is headed out of control. In a decade, there may be ten times as many people who have AIDS as they have it today. We are in disintegrating debt. America is going in debt $13,000 a second, $47 million an hour, $1 billion every day. And that statistic is really from several years ago. It's probably got worse. I don't know. They were providentially, providentially defeated. 2 Kings chapter 17, 20 says, Delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who, had, who he had cast them from his sight. The difference between victory and defeat for any nation is the difference of two words, from and to. God can deliver you from your enemies or God can deliver you to your enemies. We'd better learn that victory is not a matter of missiles, might, manpower, money, Victory is deliverance by God. Proverbs uh, 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So here was a once proud nation where golden dreams had turned to filthy ashes. Triumphs had turned to tears. Glory had turned to guilt. Blessings had turned to burdens. The fresh air of liberty had been exchanged for the foul air of captivity. But thank God the story doesn't end there. As old Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. Here's the solution for not only our nation, but our city, our state, our county, whatever area you want to look at. This story could have had a happy ending because even though rebellion brings ruin, revival brings rejoicing.
This nation needed a revival, and they could have had revival because God gave them the recipe for revival. In 2 Kings 17, 13, he said, Yet the Lord testify against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Did you hear what God said? In the midst of them turning their backs to God, God says, I'll take you back if you'll come back. Revival involves a repentance from wickedness. The Lord told his prophets to deliver a message loud and clearly. Turn from your evil ways. The first word that God has to say to a sinful nation, a sinful church, a sinful people for that matter, is repent. Incidentally, religion is no substitute for repentance. Religion is no substitute for repentance. Many Americans sow their wild oats on Monday through Saturday and then go to church and pray for a crop failure. Oh, Lord, don't let that produce. Don't get the idea that we will just elect godly officials into our political office. Get uh, Christian people into high places. We'll solve all of our problems. I, don't, I do believe that we ought to put good, godly men and women in office. I believe that from the local level to the national level. And I, also, and I think also we need to see Christians elected to high places. We need to support them and work them if we know they're good, solid Christian people. But the solution to America's problem is not the ballot box. The solution to America's problem is the prayer bench. Right down here praying for our nation. That's the greatest thing we can do. And then get up and go outside and do something more. Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes of the faith. Of course, he's dead for several years now. He once said, we don't need to get too closely aligned with either party. We need to call both parties to repentance and get right with God. I also agree with that great preacher from Dallas, Texas, old Tony Evans, who said, God doesn't ride the back of a donkey or an elephant. Revival involves a renewal of holiness. You see, when you turn from your sin and turn toward God, when you turn from your disobedience and turn toward obedience, when you renew your love for God, you will also renew your hatred for sin. It just automatically happens. I want to remind us this morning as we close out real quick that judgment begins at the house of God. If judgment begins at the house of God, so should repentance begin at the house of God. And I'm afraid that a lot of people, even in our churches all across this city, all across this nation, are not taking the need of our nation to God, are not spending our knees on the prayer, in prayer, praying for our nation. America, don't expect America to ever get right until the church gets right. And lastly, not only were they to turn from their wicked ways and turn to God, but God says in 2 Kings seventeen thirteen, and keep my commandments and my statutes. In other words, don't just confess it and get up and leave it. You've got to start doing it. God's word is for us to obey, not just ignore. When a nation turns from its wicked ways, 
and keeps the laws, you'll see a flood tide of righteousness that will clean this land from one end to the other take place. What this nation needs is for its sewers of sin to be flushed out with rivers of righteousness. For righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach upon any people. Arnold Toynbee, that world-famed historian, once said, The fall of a great nation is always suicide. I believe that's with all my heart. That's a true statement. I believe that unless America turns back to God, she's headed for certain suicide. During the difficult time in the Civil War, a general came to visit President Abraham Lincoln. He said, Mr. President, do you think that God is on our side? And President Lincoln replied, Sir, I am not concerned as to whether or not God is on our side. My concern is, are we on God's side? Let's all do our part in praying and witnessing and living so that revival will come to our nation. You can have an impact on everybody you know, your family, your friends, your circle of friends, and you can make a difference in them. And together we can begin to turn back to God, this great nation that we love, cherish, and honor because it's been a great one. There's no place on the face of this. I'd like to go visit some places, but I sure don't want to live there. The good old United States of America, we're blessed to be here. But we need to get back to being a godly nation. And that begins with each and every seat today of beginning to be a godly person. And that will start the trend. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And, Lord, you know how much I struggled with doing this message. But, Lord, I believe it with all my heart. You laid it on my heart. And, Lord, it wasn't even comfortable delivering it. And, Lord, I just pray that you would just sink it into our hearts because it's not my words, it's your words. And, Lord, you've given us examples of where nations that are powerful can fall. And, Lord, we don't want to see that here. But, Lord, we've got to change what starts right here inside this church. I can't worry about First Baptist. I can't worry about the Assembly of God or the Methodist. We've got to worry about what's going on this side of the church. This church right here. And God, I believe we need to get back on our knees before God and lift up not only our church, not only our families, but our nation. Give our leaders direction. Give them courage. Give them strength when they're attacked of any kind. But Lord, just teach us to be the praying, faithful warriors. As we go through this invitation, this is your invitation. You speak to the hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.